Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. And for the moment, think of this as the first of two episodes to grace your podcast feeds today because this episode is technically supposed to be what happened yesterday, but schedule and busyness and whatnot did not happen. So in that event, just think of today right now as the 14th, and I'm making it way more complicated than it should be, but you get the general idea. And that, my friends, is all you need to worry about in this lexicon. So with that being said, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Danny Webster, and I do appreciate you stopping by for maybe the first of two episodes today on the old pod, and we do have some stuff to discuss through two days of Vegas Golden Knights training camp. Not only that, not only that, we have times of games of which they will happen at some point in this lexicon. There will be games. There are times they will be played at those times on these dates. We'll discuss that later as well. And then the elephant in the room. We do need to discuss the goalie situation. And it's it, it really is something that we need to kind of peer into. I know that now two practices in, Marc-Andre Fleury has not been on the ice. But we're going to have to discuss it. We will later on in this pod. But first... The big news out of camp on Tuesday is that the arrival of Peyton Krebs uh, was a thing yesterday. Uh, The 17th overall pick of last summer's draft by the Golden Knights participated really, when you think about it, because he was hurt last year, was rehabbing his uh, partially torn Achilles. He was not at training camp last year. He was not at dev camp last year. He, He watched dev camp and he watched training camp. And then he stayed with the Golden Knights leading up to his eventual uh, return to the Western League to play with Winnipeg. This was the first time we have seen Peyton Krebs in a Vegas Golden Knights practice jersey, whatever may have you, since he's been drafted. And he took part in uh, the training camp as one of the 32 skaters, or one of the 30 skaters, I should say. Uh, taking part in the Golden Knights' return to play training camp as really the surprise addition to that roster. Uh, The 19-year-old forward, who's now basically the top prospect in the Golden Knights system, uh, was really one of the more eye-opening choices on this roster that no Brandon Peary, no Lucas Elvinez, who's established himself in the AHL after one year, uh, Peyton Krebs is on the Golden Knights. And yesterday, how it worked was that uh, usually, we, like a Monday, for example, we saw Group A. And Group A was the first line, the third line, and a couple of extras. Today, or on Tuesday, we saw Group B. And Group B was the second line, fourth line, and more of the extras that we were likely not going to see at some point. Uh, Peyton Krebs was part of Group A yesterday, so he did not... He, he did not make his presence known until Group A stepped on the ice for uh, line rushes and a light scrimmage that was had yesterday. And we got our first look at Peyton Krebs 
And I will tell you what, I, I, I hate doing this because it's not like it's the end all be all. We're, let me put this to bed right now. We are not going to see Peyton Krebs unless we see him in an exhibit in the exhibition game that we'll touch on in a little bit. We're not going to see him at any point in this return to play thing. He is basically here for the experience and the mentorship of those around him as his teammates look to win a Stanley Cup. If Peyton Krebs gets into a playoff game at some point in this summer, something is horribly wrong. That being said, uh, Krebs took a couple of rushes on left wing on, I guess you can call this the sixth line with Patrick Brown and Reed Duke. And he had a couple of shifts against the Stasny line with Marshall and Smith. And I will say this for a 19 year old kid there, there were some hints there were some inklings of a very savvy young player, very intelligent young player. There were multiple times when I was looking at this line that God forbid you roll this line out in an actual game. I'm not sure that they would survive, but there were moments Peyton Krebs looked like a very intelligent player. And it's not that Krebs isn't intelligent. It wasn't like Krebs wasn't this sought out prospect going into the draft. He absolutely was that torn Achilles may have been the reason why he dropped seven spots out of the top 10. So let's keep that into perspective, but there were multiple points during this light scrimmage, and again, the scrimmage was maybe like 10, 15 minutes at most. There were some instances where Peyton Krebs was very smart getting the puck out of the D zone. There were some instances where he made sure he started the breakouts very, very crisp, very crisp, very clean. He, he initiated some offense for that line. And, and given they were going against Robin Leonard at the other net, you're not going to get a lot of offensive production. But Krebs, I thought, looked really solid on this line. And and I think you're seeing a lot of the things that drew the Golden Knights and a lot of teams, really, to wanting Krebs out of the draft. You look at, to me, he's very quick. And, and again, I know it's like just rushes and a light scrimmage. Krebs has got some speed to him. And and I and I don't know necessarily how much longer that's going to translate. Like we know how solid of a playmaker Krebs is. He's really he's been one of the top assist guys in really in the Western League for the last couple of years now. And to top it all off, dude's got some nifty handles and he can score some goals. Um, but no, he's got some quickness to him. He's got some quickness to him. And I think if he can round into form over the next couple of years, because he's got one more year in juniors left before he eventually moves over to, at least for a year, maybe Henderson, and maybe two years after that, maybe Henderson also, who knows? Uh, Maybe Vegas after two years, who knows? He's got some speed to him. And that is going to translate very well in this kind of system and in these kind of players that Vegas has built around, built this team around. And he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. If he can ground in the form, kind of grow grow a little bit more into his body, add some more muscle, uh, so he could be possibly a net front guy, I think that is going to benefit him greatly. And again, one scrimmage. I know. There, there's, 
there's no point in trying to overhype a scrimmage of 15 minutes. But when you haven't seen a kid basically this entire time, because don't forget, like he, he started at Winnipeg this year very late. He didn't come into the game for Winnipeg until November, I believe. So it's not like, you know, it's not like we're doubting him, but this is really the first time any of us have seen Peyton Krebs in person in Las Vegas, at least really ever. And to me, I thought he held his own in the scrimmage. I thought he handled himself well in the scrimmage against the Stasny line. I thought he handled himself well in the defensive zone. He didn't panic. He looked calm and he spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. Let's not forget this. Like when he was rehabbing his Achilles, he was in Las Vegas. He was basically working his way back to Winnipeg through being in Vegas. And I think that benefited him greatly. And even while he was even rehabbing, uh, Mark Stone took Krebs under his wing. And basically, uh, Stone had Krebs live with him, kind of like a situation when Stone was in Ottawa and Brady Kachuk was living with him, kind of taking on that that younger uh, mentor type of deal. And I mean, Stone really did the same thing with Cody Glass when Cody Glass was trying to make his way up to the final NHL roster at the start of this season. Basically the same thing. And uh, Krebs kind of talked about that and kind of alluded to how important Stone has been of a mentor to one Peyton Krebs. Yeah. Um, obviously I think the guys, Mark, Mark Stone, um, he been fortunate to be able to live with him before. And, um, you know, he's been a guy that I've been texting lots and just, uh, have fun and, um, just, just do what I can to, um, work hard. Obviously he, like he said, it's my first camp, so don't put any pressure on yourself and, uh, just go out there and work hard. Yeah. Obviously Kelly made it, uh, really easy for me. Um, he let me know early um, a few months ago that I would have an opportunity possibly to be able to come to camp. And um, obviously it wasn't sure on numbers and uh, which guys are going to be which and obviously if it was going to start. So just kind of a heads up that um, if, if it's going to go or you're going to have a good shot at coming and uh, kind of took that and really worked hard. Didn't take a day off since uh, the end of my season. Um, been working out every day. And um, then I, once the rinks opened up, I, obviously started skating. So I just wanted to prepare myself. Uh, at least if I didn't get the call, I know I'd be prepared. So so uh, did that and uh, now I'm here and I'm really happy. And again, you know, it, it's not like we're going to see Krebs play at any point this year. We're not going to see Peyton Krebs. Again, it would have to take a catastrophic either failure or something beyond our wildest control to see Peyton Krebs play in a Vegas Golden Knights uniform at any point this summer. But you start to see the little things that made Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee want to draft this guy um, back in back last June. And you see the little inklings of what he could be. And even he mentioned on the call yesterday, um, he could play either position. Which I think is going to be a huge benefit. It's not like a Cody Glass situation. And I'm not saying this is a knock on Glass. But you know Glass is not suited for the wing. At least for right now. Krebs, I think, if he were to kind of stay at the same stature that he's in. 
he could be someone you could line up on the left or the right. And like I said, he took line rushes on the left before they started. And he eventually made his way to center uh, during the scrimmage. So there, there are ways you can make this work with Krebs. And if he continues to show the progress that he's made in Winnipeg, which again, he, the captain of the Winnipeg Ice, he has been absolutely fantastic. He was fantastic this year. Continues on this progression. Does one more solid year in Winnipeg and has a really good year in Henderson when he turns it when he turns 20. We could be looking at Peyton Krebs, you know, knock on wood, possibly in the Vegas lineup in a couple years. Like there is that legit possibility that we could see Peyton Krebs on this team in a couple years. And again, I don't want to blow it completely out of proportion because again it was one scrimmage it was one scrimmage it was one practice a lot can change we i could be going to practice today and watch krebs you know do some scrimmaging and whatnot and he could look like absolute trash and you know what be fine it, because it's the third day it's a second practice but again first practice that we have seen that any of us have seen of krebs in vegas and i thought he looked really solid and again i know that's a lot to to handle and as far as this being the literally the second day of training camp but to me you you are only as good as your first impression Peyton Krebs's first impression I thought was really good very good all right news actual news there is news there are times of games and the Golden Knights have an exhibition game as well as it was announced uh, they will be taking on the Arizona Coyotes on July 30th, so literally 15 days from now. The Golden Knights will step onto the ice and play a hockey game. It will not count, but it will be a hockey game. And it will not be the likes of a preseason game where fourth-line AHL players are playing in this game. Well, th- there could be a chance that fourth-line AHL players play, but Patrick Brown, I don't believe, is a fourth-liner in the AHL. Um, but yes, the Golden Knights will play the Coyotes on July 30th, 7 o'clock. Uh, TV broadcasting uh, situations have not been announced. They will be announced by the league uh, as soon as possible. I would say in the coming days, probably, they will need to finalize that. Um, but what I think we can expect, at least for the round robin, those games will be on AT&T Sportsnet. Speaking of the round robin, August 3rd, we know that the first game is against the Dallas Stars. There is a time for that. 3.30 p.m. in Edmonton, the first round robin game for the Golden Knights. It will be against the Dallas Stars, and it will be at 3.30, and it will be on AT&T Sportsnet. Now, I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth to the round robin teams next week. And I'm probably going to also dissect each matchup in the uh, Western Conference Stanley Cup quarter, quarter, not the quarterfinals, the qualifiers. This is what happens when you get a lot of cues here. Qualifying matchups will also be looked at next week. But the round robin games, I'm also going to take a deep dive in either next week or the days leading up to it. So probably the week uh, after next week. But I think one thing that stood out to me the most um, it to me was comments made by Nate Schmidt yesterday. Uh, 
And it wasn't necessarily to us because uh, Nate had talked for like five minutes and then had to go. Uh, Basically, it gives you an idea, these comments made by Nate, where not even just Vegas in general, what these teams are thinking about heading into the round robin. Are they important? In a sense, yes. Are they necessary? Given the current climate, I don't think so. What I think the league should have eventually done with the with these games for the top four teams in the West, what I think they should have done is keep the seating the same. Keep the seating the same and just play a few exhibition games. I understand what they're trying to do as far as making it seem like it's important. These games have value. But if the Golden Knights were to win all three of their round-robin games and all of a sudden be the top seed in the Western Conference, one, in this situation, it doesn't mean anything because there's no home ice advantage. Two, what did playing three games against three different opponents prove in the grand scheme of things if you have to play St. Louis or if you have to play Colorado in a best of seven? And I think the comments made by Nate Schmidt yesterday on TSN kind of set the ball in roll that I don't think we're going to be taking these round-robin games as seriously as you'll see. And e- even me, I don't even know if the best of five is going to be taken considered seriously if there are teams that really want to tank for the chance to get Lafreniere with the number one pick. But th- this is what Nate Schmidt said to TSN. And I'll only read a few snippets because it was a long-winded answer, but he gave a lot of good points here. He says, I'm cu- and, and I quote, I'm kind of on the fence. I think it'll be a little more of that first game feel or maybe feel like the last preseason game where you got most of the team playing and guys are going hard because they want to ramp up. They want to be able to hit that first game of the year in stride, but not be at risk. If Colton Pareko is lining up for a one-timer, am I really going to step into it in a seeding game? Competitive juices say yes, but also at that point, I just got to make sure I'm okay. Those games are important because last change is important. So I think once guys get in it and all of a sudden mouths start yapping and a D-man gets walked or something like that, it'll pick up. There's the key there. You are, if you are one of these four teams vying for seeding, essentially, you already know you're going to be one of the final 16 playing for the Stanley Cup. How much effort are you willing to put in to these games? Knowing, one, you're not going to be traveling anywhere. Two, you're going to have a pretty good idea of who your opponent is. So no travel. There's no home ice advantage. There's nothing of that sort. How seriously are these players going to take these round-robin games? And to me... I don't necessarily think that they're going to mean that much. Don't get me wrong. If you are one of the round robin teams, I absolutely believe that you want to play as well as you can before you head into a best of seven because you want to make sure that one, you're healthy, two, you're playing at your best. You want to be able to go into these, go into the best of seven 
saying, okay, we know that we are right where we need to be, and these three games showed it. To me, though, is it really worth it, though? <laughs> I mean, because here's the thing. If you are if you are playing a round robin, if you're one of the four teams playing in the round robin, and you're basically looking at the other best of five series through a lens of like, okay, well, we need to win here so we can avoid this team. You know what I mean? We Basically, your whole point is if you win these round robin games, you have a better chance of avoiding the teams that you don't want to face. But at the same time, if you're one of those round robin teams, you've kind of played well enough to earn yourself a spot to say, okay, well, if you line team X up against us, we should be able to take you on in a seven game series with absolutely no problem. That should be the mindset. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why Marc-Andre Fleury has not practiced in the first two days of this. And it has nothing to do with not wanting to practice. It has nothing to do with COVID-19 concerns. It is literally the fact that what have we been talking about basically nonstop for the last two years? The health and the taxing of Marc-Andre Fleury. Which leads us into this discussion of the goalie talk. What is going to happen when we get to these round-robin games? And what is going to happen when the Golden Knights get to their first best of seven? It was a question that I posed to Pete DeBoer yesterday. And this was his answer. Uh, Well, we've got two starting goalies. So we're going to play them both. And uh, and then we'll take it day to day. I haven't got it decided on any of the specifics of that, but but both guys are going to play, and uh, and then we'll we'll go day to day from there. Now I didn't expect a full fledged answer. I obviously second day of camp. You don't expect such a thing to be discussed, but you see the conversations happening between other teams, especially heading into their qualifying series. Um, Columbus is one of them knowing that they were able to survive as long as they did without Eunice Corposalo. And they relied heavily on Elvis Merzlikens knowing you have that conundrum. Corposalo is an all-star, whether it be by hook or by crook, he's an all-star. Merzlikens came out of nowhere and became such a, a bona fide stopgap, if you will, and played spectacularly. And of course, remember he had that shutout in Vegas, uh, prior to Gerard Gallant being fired. Colorado is another situation that I think you need to look at. The Islanders are another team that I know Barry Trotz has done this for the last two years, and Robin Leonard is a byproduct of this. The Islanders are another team that have two goalies that they can that they can intertwine with one way or another. Will they? That's the question. As to what happens when we finally get to the playoffs as to what happens when the games finally matter. I think the whole point of resting Marc-Andre Fleury is to be of the understanding that it's going to be his net come game one of the first best of seven series. Because you don't want to go with Robin Leonard in the first game. Here's the reason why. If you were to go with Robin Leonard, in the first game, 
and say, okay, let, let, let's put this in perspective. Let's say Vegas gets the number three seed where, where they are right now. So they win two or they're the second or the third seed after the, after tiebreaker and points percentage. Like, like I said, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. But let's say you go with Robin Leonard in game one of a best of seven. Let's say it's against, let's say it's against Calgary, either Calgary or Winnipeg, one of the two. You go with Robin Leonard in game one, and he plays well, right? And then you make the switch to Flurry in game two, and Flurry loses. Now you got yourself a conundrum. Because then the conversation shifts to, well, what if Robin Leonard would have actually started games one and game two? Would go, would the Golden Knights be up 2-0 in a series? I know we've kind of touched on this a little bit over the course of the last you know, in the in the following weeks before the season paused. But I'll reiterate this point. There is a lot of pressure on Marc-Andre Fleury. Not, not pressure in that he's going to lose his job. This is not like a Matt Murray situation, okay? Robin Leonard is an established goaltender in the NHL. He's one of the best goalies in the NHL. And hopefully, for his sake, or for everybody's sake, he is paid handsomely heading into next season, it, whether it be by money or by term. Term is obviously the most important thing when it comes to Leonard. There is pressure on Marc-Andre Fleury. And the reason why the Golden Knights traded for Robin Leonard is not because they don't believe in Marc-Andre Fleury. They legitimately believed that getting another goalie in the system leading into the playoffs was going to be their best course of action to win. If Marc-Andre Fleury does not perform well in these playoffs, the narrative is going to open wide, and it's not going to be good. You look at how he performed last year against San Jose, I thought he did fairly well. You know, Game 6, take it for what you will, should not have happened the way it did. Game 7... He people forget Mark Andre Fleury was pitching a shutout in Game Seven until until the penalty happened. Fleury has played admirably well in the playoffs the last two seasons because there was no pressure on him to perform. There was no there was no threat at any point to anybody. Dave Pryor did not go to Mark Andre Fleury at any point last year and said, "Hey, if you don't play well, I'm putting in Malcolm." It's a little bit different this time knowing who's behind you. He's the presumptive 1B to your 1A. It's not a sizable 1-2 gap like there was the last couple of seasons. If you go with Marc-Andre Fleury in a game one and say the Golden Knights win, but Fleury allows like four goals, then you know you're going with Leonard in game two. And if Leonard performs well in game two, do you dare go back to Flurry in a game three? That's why there, there is a lot of chatter, not from people that I've been hearing from, but from people that watch the sport and people who follow the team. There is a reason why there is a chatter and there is a growing hope that the Golden Knights sign Robin Leonard to a long-term deal after this season. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the person. The person is fantastic. He's a fantastic human being. And he would fit greatly 
in this Golden Knights culture if he hasn't already. But there is a reason why people are people are thinking, sign this guy to be the long-term solution at goalie. And I get the idea of paying 13 to $14 million between two goalies to essentially remove yourself from really any other big free agent signings. And again, if the Golden Knights want to go this route, they are likely going to have to make a trade at some point. And again, that's why the names Paul Stasny, Alex Tuck, they come to mind instantly because those are the two that I can look at on this team right now that say, if you want to keep Robin Leonard, one of those two have to go. Back to my original point. Leonard is here because the Golden Knights feel that they needed a better goalie situation behind Flurry. They still believe in Flurry. But again, new coaching system, new coaches. Dave Pryor is not doing day-to-day operations with the goalie situation anymore. That's going to Mike Rosati. How much of a leash, given three round robin games, given one exhibition game, how much of a leash is Marc-Andre Fleury going to get? Because Robin Leonard could be the one thing that catapults the Golden Knights to a spot in the Stanley Cup final. It could be him. Again, this is not a Matt Murray situation. Not even close. Marc-Andre Fleury basically lost his job to a young upstart, you know, first year, second year goalie, and they rode that wave of momentum to two Stanley Cups. I don't think the moment Marc Andre Fleury found out that Robin Leonard was coming to the Golden Knights, I don't think he felt in any inkling that he was losing his job. But I think he knew that he is about to get some much needed rest. There is a guy over opposite of you that is more than capable of coming in whenever needed and is able to put on one hell of a show. And we saw it in three games. And again, this is the problem with the pause. And this is the problem with everything that's gone on with the coronavirus. We don't really know how good Robin Leonard could have been for the rest of this season. He was bound to get five, maybe six more starts before the playoffs started. And then at that point, trying to figure out who would have been the starting goalie, that is an whole other discussion in and of itself. But there is a guy opposite you that is more than capable of stepping in in this system with this team as good as it is and winning two, maybe three important playoff games. It is up to Marc-Andre Fleury to deliver. And again, I'm not saying that him skipping these two practices is the reason why I'm thinking this. This is absolutely not my thinking. Behind him missing two practices of you know the next 12, 13 days, however long it is before they go to Edmonton, I'm not saying that him skipping practice is the reason why I'm thinking this. The reason why I'm thinking this is because I have been saying this ever since Pete DeBoer was hired as coach. Back in January, every decision that is made between now and the end of the season has only one goal in mind. And I still believe this to be true. Now that this team is healthy, this team is at 100% full strength, 
And this team is as deep as any team in the Western Conference. This team, every decision that has been made involving this team needs to have a result of a deep playoff run or a spot in the Stanley Cup final. And because the Golden Knights played so well leading up to the pause, knowing that they are about to get everybody back, they got Mark Stone back, they got Max Pacioretty back, they're getting Alex Tuck back, those three guys that were going to pretty much miss the entire or the rest of the regular season, they're back now. Your team is the deepest, one of the deepest teams and one of the most dangerous teams in the Western Conference. Now it is time to do it. You've gotten halfway through the whole ordeal of, well, this better hope, this better result in a playoff spot. That part is done. The big decisions that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee made to bring Pete DeBoer on, so far, fantastic. They have done what they needed to do. Won the division title, back in the playoff spot. They're a top four team in the West. And now they're about to play for the big prize. Now it's on the players. It is on the players. And the first person you look to is number 29. And it has nothing to do with him. It has absolutely nothing to do with him. It has to do with the decisions that management has made in the position that 29 plays. If 29 does not play well, they have no problem going to 90. It's not like, well, you have 29. Well, if 29 doesn't, well, we just can't put 30 in there and throw them into the crossfire. No, there is a goalie now that you can go to at this juncture and say, okay, one of them is not quite getting the job done. We need you to come in and get the job done. And if Robin Leonard gets the job done, that creates an entirely different narrative that I don't think we have time to discuss on this podcast. We are getting closer to the point where we are going to need to answer that question. DeBoer says both guys are going to play. How he drives up that momentum to make sure both guys play and both guys are playing at their absolute best is an entirely different narrative. But one thing's for sure, the pressure is on now. They at least need to win one playoff series. But the pressure now is going to fall on 29, whether unjustly or not. Again, I don't think a failed postseason is going to lead to the Golden Knights somehow trying to find a trade suitor for Marc-Andre Fleury, but it is something that we need to start thinking about. If, if everybody firmly believes, in at least what I believe, that this team is more than capable of winning the Stanley Cup this year, they are as capable as any team in the West and is definitely as worthy as any team in the East. They have got to get the top-notch production from their goalie tandem. And it's going to start with 29 because he knows that 90 is right behind him, breathing down his neck. And again, this has nothing to do with him missing two practices. But the fact that we're now getting to the nitty-gritty of one exhibition game. There are only going to be four Golden Knights games leading up to their first best-of-seven series. They need to know that they have the right guy going in net. And we all think at the start it's going to be flurry. But Leonard is right there. 
and it's going to create an entirely different narrative than what I think we've even scratched the surface on just now. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk is basically what I'm saying about the Golden Knights goalie situation. It went a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be, but it is something to think about. These things we need to start thinking about as far as the future of the franchise is concerned, especially when there's a flat cap for the next couple of seasons. All right, guys. Well, again, that went a little bit longer than I wanted it to, but it was a good, productive episode. We talked about a lot, and we lent a little bit longer into the goalie talk uh, than I thought we would have probably talked a little bit more about the goalies later this week. Uh, but for that, you're going to stay tuned to this podcast. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, one more thing. Before we get out of here, if you have not already done so, make sure you are following the Locked On NHL National Show hosted by Sarah Avampato. She does a fantastic job. She has great guests each week talking about everything that you want to know, whether it be the CBA, whether it be the return to play, whatever the case may be. Make sure you're following Sarah. Make sure you're listening to the Locked On NHL National Show to get all of your national inquiries as far as the show is, as far as the National Hockey League is concerned, in the show too, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Sarah throws some updates in there on the times that I don't listen to the show. But you know what? There you go. Make sure you are listening to the show. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for me. Again, maybe we do a double dip later today. I'm not entirely sure. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, and uh, yeah, make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts likely on there. Make sure uh, downloading, sharing, listening, subscribing, all that jazz is greatly appreciated. And one more thing as well, because usually I do this at the beginning of the show. Might do it at the end of the show now. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. Follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or if you want to send in potential mailbag questions for later on down the road, LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com is another way to get in touch with me. And on that note, that'll do it for me, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Maybe be back later today. Be on the lookout for that. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I will see you later. Have a good day.